Hey, what's up? This is Project Freelance. Welcome back to another week here on the podcast. How's it going, guys? This week, we have Lauren Babick on the podcast. But first, I got to tell you, I got to be really honest with you guys. We need some sponsors on this podcast. If we want to continue doing this thing, we got to have some sponsors. You know, I would like to make this podcast better. I'd like to be able to fly to my guests and do these podcasts with them. I think it would make it so much more fun. And I think it would be way more interactive and we'd have even better conversations. So we got to get some sponsors on this podcast. But in order to do that, I'm going to show them my voiceover skills. Let's do this. This is an ad for my book, No Tracers, An Urban Explorer's Diary. You can get it now at justletterk.com slash no tracers. All right, here's the ad. Ready? Let's go. Also, it's Halloween themed, okay? It's a Halloween themed ad. Got it? It's going to be amazing. Come on. How can you not like a Halloween themed ad? All right, let's go. I don't know how the city is legally allowed to just keep all this medically contaminated material lying around inside of these old decaying buildings. Surely, if the people of Downey saw these photos, the city would come under fire for not cleaning up their mess. But I'm just a mere photographer, documenting the trash that humans leave behind. The Downey Insane Asylum is not only full of contaminated material, but it is also supposedly super haunted, especially in the patients' wards, where I've been. Let me tell you, if I hadn't believed in ghosts before visiting the patients' wards here, I became a believer upon stepping into the asylum. It's so dark and eerie that it literally takes your breath away. Just in time for Halloween, use code SPOOKY2019 for 10% off your order. Okay, and I made an ad. I hope you enjoyed that. Thanks for listening. All right, let's get to the episode. (laughs) You can go to justletterk.com slash no tracers if you want to copy. Thanks, guys. Hello, citizen of the internet. How's it going? I hope you are doing well this week. My name is Kay Anagonio, and you are listening to Project Freelance. This is a podcast where I want to help elevate you as a freelancer, as a creative person, as an entrepreneur, whatever it is that you do. Every week, I come on or I bring a guest on to talk about building a freelance life, building a freelance career, the business side of things, no matter if you're a photographer, if you're a musician, if you're like our guest this week, a vocalist, next week we have a welder on the podcast. It doesn't matter what you do. If you are a freelancer, this is the podcast for you. I think that the information in these episodes is very valuable and I love getting to talk to my friends, let's be honest. And I love getting to know my friends more. So that's pretty much this podcast in a nutshell. If you guys want to check out the things that I do aside from this podcast, all of my links will be down in the description. You can uh, browse at your leisure while listening to this podcast. And if you are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, hello, hi, how you doing? Can you do me a favor and rate this podcast if you like it? You can do it anytime during this episode and your rating helps our podcast be seen by more people and I say our podcast because you are a part of this. Let's talk to Lauren Babick. I met Lauren on YouTube. We have collaborated a couple times. I, this girl is amazing. She's from Toronto. I finally met her last Christmas up in Toronto. We spent New Year's together. Was it New Year's? Yeah, I spent New Year's at her house. Um, and it was it was amazing. She's so rad and I love being able to call her my friend And so today I wanted to pick her brain about YouTube, talk to her a little bit about her channel, how she built her channel, and uh, what her story's been like, 
with her bands and I wanted to hear about I wanted to hear some tour stories I mean let's be honest let's hear tour stories all right Lauren please introduce yourself to the audience and what it is that you do so my name is Lauren Babick and I am a singer slash songwriter slash youtuber slash teacher slash vocal coach slash teacher <laughs> so how did you get into music in the first place what got you started and on your music path and what made you want to start singing so I guess the music part and the singing part were very separate um basically I got into music very young I just started basically banging on pots and pans when I was like two years old so my parents were like well we should probably put her in lessons. So they put me in like little music classes and then put me in piano when I was like five. So I kind of grew up with music um, from the be- from the beginning. And then I didn't really start singing until I was like 17. Pretty much after like the experience of going through piano and then picking up a guitar and doing like school band. So I started singing when I was 17 when I was listening to bands like like Under Oath and The Used and My Chemical Romance and those kind of bands kind of inspired me to be like maybe I want to start singing in a band. So when did you um, first like realize that hey I can actually kind of sing like when did that develop and what what made you like want to pursue it as like a full-time kind of kind of gig? Um, at first when I started singing, it was just very privately kind of just in the shower or, or just alone in my room as we all do, (laughs) I think when we start singing. Um, but I don't know if I ever thought I was quote unquote any good at first. It was, it was kind of just like, oh, I like this. Maybe I can get better. So I would just sing whatever I could when I could, regardless of the genre. Like, I I also kind of delved into a lot of R&B. So that, in that sense, I got to develop um, more of the technical side of singing, like the, you know, like vocal runs and whatnot. So, so yeah. So do you think R&B had like a big impact on you as a vocalist as your style goes I well definitely like throughout me learning how to sing and and then perfecting and honing how to sing I would listen to artists like Usher um Adele Amy Winehouse like a lot of soul um old Motown so I think that has a lot of influence on how I sing right now and and how I learned how to sing because I think I I guess I like to bring in a lot of those R&B and soulful elements into you know like the metal singing and whatnot so it I think it's it's kind of seeped its way into what I do. Yeah, I think I think it definitely shows and it it comes out whenever you especially like your your more recent stuff. Um, But 
when you so when you started singing did you continue taking like vocal or did you start taking vocal lessons or were you doing any um training or education wise when it came to your singing um no i was basically completely self-taught until very recently actually i i took um i took a course on how to teach vocal choir which is really weird but Unfortunately, there's no courses you can take on how to scream or how to do metal vocals. <laughs> so, uh, since I'm since I'm a like a qualified teacher in Ontario, um, I can get like these extra courses to be able to teach different subjects in in high schools. So I figured, why not do a vocal music class? So it it was more from the classical perspective of of choir which is okay but I learned a lot and I learned that a lot of the foundations of singing is actually a lot of the foundations are actually the same for screaming so that was kind of affirming I think the the training was more affirming if anything because it was like oh I I already naturally do this or I I've kind of learned this via YouTube so it was it was more um, affirming if anything. So it's dope that you have like, a you know, is it a license to teach? I guess that's technically what it is. Um, yeah. So it's, it's for like actual school teaching, not like, um, I don't, I don't think there's an actual license to be like a vocal teacher. I think you can go to university for like, you know, music, but um, yeah, so I have a license um, to teach in schools in Ontario, which is kind of cool. And I really love it. I, I love doing it um, and integrating it into music. And I, I've over time tried to find ways to do that. And I think the vocal qualification really like gelled those two worlds for me, which which has been really cool. As far as like teaching students go do you prefer to do it with like a class or like one-on-one? Like, do you have like a preferred teaching style? No, I think it just depends on the specific group. Um, and, and obviously the specific student, like I think one-on-one lessons are obviously more personal and more, um, tailored to, to the learning style and what they need. But sometimes teaching in a group can kind of, um, be a buffer in case like the student is maybe shy or a little bit nervous so I guess both have like pros and cons when it comes to your songwriting style like where do you take influence from what are some vocal like or lyricists that you take inspiration from Ooh, um as far as lyrics go I don't know if I take inspiration from any like other lyricists like from music I think I draw more my inspiration from like literature if anything like I like I spent entirely too much time writing (laughs) Redeemer so it it was like a very immersive process so I I would read things like like the divine comedy and kind of just like use this like very um this like literary imagery that I would draw from for that specific record. And then for crazy 88, we would just like draw it off movies. So it was, it, 
I guess my writing hasn't really been inspired by like a musician, but more like pop culture, if anything. No, I think that's awesome. You know, I think it's super fascinating, like different vocalists take inspiration from different, uh, different things, you know, like whether it's movies or, or TV shows or whatever. I mean, like Ice Nine Kills is super big on, you know, doing horror movies and like, that's kind of their theme. So I think it's cool that you're integrating something you love with and something that's so, you know, popular, like pop culture into your music. I think it's fascinating. Um, so when did you start YouTube? When did that channel start? And what what was your uh, intent behind it? Why did you want to make a YouTube channel in the first place? Oh, gosh, I think I started. <laughs> I think I started my YouTube in 2009. I want to say I'm. I might be wrong, but I think I didn't make my first video until much later. I want to say I made my first video in like 2012 or something, 2011. I'm going to check right now. But um, basically, I started the YouTube channel just to make sure I could sing properly and to just, just to kind of improve myself and just to learn how to record myself. Cause I think, um, it's definitely a valuable skill to have. So I, I had recently joined, um, you know, red handed denial and, oh, it was, I, I uploaded my first video in 2011 in April. So that was like, wow. Yeah, it's been a minute. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, same. <laughs> same. <laughs> so I I think I had been in Red Handed for like two years, but like very not seriously. Like we were babies at that time. So I basically used YouTube as a tool to learn how to sing and scream and record myself. So I did that video and then... I kind of forgot about it for a few months and then I and then I came back and it had 20,000 views and I was like what Damn. I was like what <laughs> and the, the song was um Delin- and delinquents by woe is me because like at that time I was I was really loving like the the R&B style that Tyler Carter brought to metalcore and of course who doesn't yes, who doesn't like that so I was like, damn, I, you know what? I really want to practice like my, you know, soulful style like Tyler Carter. So yeah, I came back to the video and it had 20,000 views and I was like, holy shit, what is going on here? Maybe I'm okay. <laughs> Maybe I'm okay at singing. So I I just kind of kept going from there and, and used sort of the, um, like the good critiques and and just slowly got better and better and better and and honed honed the vocals and the rest is history i guess like it just i never really expected it to be what it is right now but i w- i was just doing it to to have fun i guess <laughs> What was some of the initial feedback you got from fans? I mean, you're I don't know if you were screaming as well in the video, but I I if was you were, yeah. Okay, so what was some of the feedback you got? I mean, you're a female screamer like on YouTube and this is not very normal. It's kind of rare to find female screamers out there. So what was the initial feedback like? 
Um, it was mostly positive. I think 2011 was a very different time compared to now. I think there were even less, um, less women doing what we do now, then as opposed to now. So it was, it was more like, wow, a girl doing this? Oh my God. Like it was more like a shock value, if anything. So I think that had a lot to do with the positivity. Um, but, but I think, um, most of the critiques were, were for the screams, obviously. Um, you know, and you, you always get those really bad ones where it's like, oh, she sounds like she's in screaming in her kitchen. Like, she, she, you know, like the really, <laughs> the really sexist ones. But they were mostly positive, And I think that helped me um, keep going because it always sucks to to be like really fresh on YouTube and just get destroyed. So I, I think I was very fortunate, um, to not get, uh, roasted too badly. Um, but I, I think like my screams have come a long way and, and back then people were just, um, critiquing on how they were a little bit thin, how, how they needed some body to them. So if, if, I remember correctly. I I mean I totally get what you're talking about like you know we we've done kind of we've kind of had a similar story as far as like YouTube music goes yeah. um and so like I get what you're talking about like getting roasted and like all that kind of stuff like I think I was in a similar position like I was fortunate enough to have that positive support behind my behind what I was doing as well so I think that really pushed me forward and I, and I'm sure it was the same for you. Um, did you, have you ever like, what, what are you making monthly off of your fucking videos? Like, what is YouTube like as a cover artist? Um, like it's something that not a lot of people like to talk about, but I think it's important that people realize that YouTube can either sustain you or it's unsustainable. Yeah. And I think like, as far as the business side of things, um, my mantra has always been like, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Cause I think if you try and focus on one thing, um, you're kind of not optimizing all your, all your revenue, uh, paths. So if you combine like Spotify and Patreon and merch and YouTube, then I think you're looking at something that can sustain you as as far as me right now like I don't think just solely from YouTube revenue I could like make quote-unquote make a living but because I think I mean the past two months my channel's seen like a, a significant amount of growth and I, I think it's because of the king for a day video but um for some weird reason, I think the YouTube algorithm picked it up, but only now am I seeing like a big jump in the revenue. Um, and that's like 10 years. That's like 2009 to 2019. Like it took 10 years to actually see real, um, money, I guess. So like 
last month, like just, just ad revenue alone, it was like, I think a thousand, which is, which is like unbelievable considering like before that it was like 300, 400, 200, like it fluctuates obviously, like depending on what videos you, you just put out, but it was like a significant jump and seeing like seeing growth is always a really nice thing it's definitely um it definitely makes you feel good and and it's just like okay maybe maybe I can make a living off this and keep going and find new ways to to grow but I do recommend for anyone who is wanting to pursue the the world of YouTube is to just try and find also other ways of making money through it not just relying on the ad revenue and I think you you might agree with that as well yeah for sure I mean I you know I've I've never made that much money off of YouTube like ever and I've been doing it you know significantly for a long time about a decade as well you know and it's like yeah I never I never expected to make money off of it, so I never relied on it to to pay my bills. Yeah. You know, I yeah. literally, like, my my vlog channel, I get, like, maybe, like, $25 a month now, and in 2016 was when I was, like, peaking, you know, and, like, for some reason, the algorithm, like, kicked me out of the algorithm in 2016, so my, my pay, my ad revenue went from, like, you know, 150, 200 bucks a month to literally, like, 23 to 25 bucks a month, so it's, like... I've never relied on YouTube because I knew that it would never, it may never take off the way that, you know, there's no, like the algorithm doesn't make sense. It doesn't It never will. And I was just actually talking, um, talking about that with my really good friend and, uh, and the dude who mixed the RHD record. His name is Lee Albrecht and he works with, um, Jonathan Young, who's like a, you did a cover with him, I think. Um, yeah, we probably one of my biggest covers is with yeah. Jonathan. We did a Justin Bieber cover, and this guy That's is the one. amazing at what he does. Yeah, so Lee actually like does is his like main engineer now. So Lee was saying the you never know when or why the algorithm will put your video in the recommended. You'll never know why. And there's like it there is an element of luck to it, which bothers me almost. <laughs> like it does bother me. And yeah. like I don't think I ever like like you said, like I never relied on YouTube to pay my bills, but like at the same time it's like, well, now I can't really make a calculated move to like assure it. You know, like it it there's always this element of uncertainty which is so weird yeah and it's like what are we supposed to do (laughs) like we're constantly playing this game of how do you please the algorithm and we it's like this it's like god like we're trying to please god and figure out what he wants to make him happy and it's like the funny thing is so the 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 algorithm picked up uh my kink for a day cover and that video is not monetizable (laughs) which is like 
I I die because like it, I'll just go fuck myself. Yeah. So like because I'm I'm using like the the mixed down original stems. So obviously I cannot monetize it. And I was just like, Yo, Eric, like I found these stems. Let's just do this for fun. And lo and behold, uh. the fucking algorithm picks up one of the videos that is not monetizable. So like, there you go. That's like, that's like been my experience in a nutshell. It's like, at the same time, you just got to take what you can get at the same. It's just, oh man. If you're not making videos about babies, you need some luck. Mm-hmm. And even now making videos about babies is hard. Or like being a beauty guru. Yeah. Because like, and no, no like shade towards beauty gurus, but I just don't understand how and why their videos get millions of views when they're just talking about like, you know, highlighter. It, you know, I, I tried. Oh, man. I try to watch them every now and then just to be like, what the what is the deal with these beauty videos? So you try to watch one and you're like, I can't. But, like, I totally watch Jeffree Star once in a while. Well, okay, Jeffree Star's videos are different, though. I watch totally, Jeffree's totally. videos. Yeah. Because it's like, what is he going to say in this video? You're like, oh, <laughs> That's shit. That's pretty much what it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like, here we go. Let's go. Oh, my God. But, yeah, I mean, I totally get what you're saying. But talk about that a little bit more about uh, not being able to monetize your videos and, like, the, I guess, quote-unquote, impact that has on your channel and people don't realize like I, and i've seen you tweet about it before like people don't understand why you can't put the king for a day song on spotify and oh iTunes. my god like, talk a little bit more about that like so like it's been so like so many questions at this point that i am gonna make a video about it because like it i it's just weird to me how like people don't know why you can't make money off of someone else's recording like it it should be self-explanatory but it's not which is fine like i don't expect everyone to know everything but um if you use any part of an original recording you no longer are able to make money off it because you don't own the recording so yes you did the vocals but the rest of the instrumental is not yours so in order to make um, revenue off of a cover, you have to re-record the entire thing. And obviously, for us vocalists, we are not exactly instrumentalists or engineers, you know, so it's, it's very difficult to find um, a remade instrumental that someone gives you permission to use or someone who will remake it for you. So it's it is difficult in that sense to find um, an actual recording that you can make money off of because you have to redo it. And it it is quite a simple concept, but I don't think a lot of people know that. So that's why I can't put something like my King for Day cover on Spotify because I don't own it. I don't own that recording. I just own my voice, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think that it... It takes more time as a vocalist to get somebody to do the instrumentals and f like even find that person. You oh, know? yeah. So like you have that comes with a lot of luck too. like, you know, I have Ryan and, and you know, Ryan as well. Ryan Cunningham. Like yep. 
he can bust out an instrumental of a song in like a day and it blows my mind this guy and all he wants to do is write music and it's like he has such a passion for it so it's like nice to have somebody like that yeah but it's hard to find people like that yeah and it's hard to find people that can do it well because i think i think another element that is really important is um not only that you're putting out content but the quality of the content and unfortunately i've made the mistake of like setting my bar really high <laughs> like and and anything that is sort of lower than that um anything any like content that i put out that is lower quality than the last thing i put out it's kind of like well shit like now you're just downgrading you do you do you ever struggle with that you're just like shit i gotta oh, put totally. out i gotta put out the same quality content that i did like last time so you just stress about it so i've kind of fucked myself in that way <laughs> because um now i now it's like you can't go back so now it's finding like that extra um extra you know five percent of of talent of people for your team that can bring that extra quality and that's extra hard to find these people so it it's another obstacle to kind of overcome mm -hmm. yeah so let's talk a little bit about let's switch gears a little bit talk about touring with uh bands talk about i i know a lot sure. of people are like when's crazy 88 gonna tour talk oh, about the logistics behind that um behind getting a crazy 88 tour together in the first place um talk about red-handed denial tours and whatever you want we'll go into it yeah so oh gosh so red-handed's a little uh weird because you know we are from canada and i think it's extremely difficult they make it extremely difficult for a canadian band to tour in the u.s and obviously america is where you want to be for our genre so you know we gotta get visas we gotta pay for the visas we gotta get these like memberships with like the american federation of musicians like it's a oh my gosh it's a big headache so like we haven't even like played yet and you already have all this housekeeping that you have to do so um and you're in debt before you even get yeah, on the road <laughs> you're like significant and you got to pay it in u.s dollars and we know you know the canadian exchange isn't great so it doesn't work in our favor so already before we even leave we are like in the red so and then you got to cross the border which is a whole other issue like so we just came back um from a run with our friends in auras who are also canadian which was cool um so we were we we did like a three-week run uh we went down to like texas and and cut across towards the east and came up the east coast um what was I saying? So when we crossed the border, um, they had like dogs in our car. Uh, they, they had us like, you know, take out the merch bins. They had us like, you know, all the luggage came out. So it was like a process. And 
I think it's just a little bit more of a headache for a Canadian band to come to America where like whereas vice versa Americans don't need anything to come to to play in Canada so that's very weird I don't like have you ever um come to Canada to like perform or or do like music work no I've never come as like a working person I've never so I've never had to deal with the like work permit visa thing so i i like i have no idea i always i've always i've only been there once and it was as a tourist as like visiting yeah just like right right regularly so Mm -hmm. you know and then you 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 have to wow i'm being very negative it was awesome by the way (laughs) it was super awesome um but it's true like this is like the facts like it's hard it's very hard, and I think you have to really know what you're expecting, what to expect before you go on tour, especially if you're not from the United States. And, you know, touring is definitely fun. It's amazing. You meet so many new people. I honestly, you know, some of my best memories are on tour. and But you still have to understand, like, there are... Um, logistics behind touring and a significant amount of organization like you're going to places that are so far away from where you live and you know there there's always an element of like uncertainty like what are we getting ourselves into at this next venue like every day is like a different day and it it's it's definitely an adventure but at the same time um, you know, it can be very anxiety inducing, you know, you never know what to expect when you're in like a, a place that, you know, you're very far away from home. So, um, it was, it was amazing though. Like I, it was the longest tour that RHD has ever done, which is weird. Like we've been a band for like, you know, like nine, 10 years, but we, weirdly enough have not done a lot of um touring in general um at least in the united states like that was our third tour ever in the united states so it was long overdue but also you know when you're doing three weeks in a foreign country and you've never done that before it can be scary at times i guess Mm -hmm. yeah and Especially, I mean, not to pull the girl card, but especially as a girl on tour, like you, it's it can be terrifying at times. Oh, I had a really like and on the first day, I'll tell you. OK, I'm going to tell the story. So we we had our first show um, in Lansing, Michigan, and literally on our way there, our booking agent um, informed us that the show was canceled. So like, that's, you know, great. First show, really great way to set the tone. And I was like, are you kidding me? So, um, you know, we're driving. That's tour though. Like, like you start tour, something's wrong. (laughs) Yep. And, and you know, like that was in 10 years, the first show red handed denial has ever canceled. So I think that's a pretty good track record. Um, but you know, it still sucks you know, first day. So we're driving, we bypassed Lansing completely and we just drove to Grand Rapids just to stay with our our friend. 
um so we it was like i think 1 a.m and we pull up at a checkers and we're like we've never tried checkers before so you know we're gonna eat it so we're at and you know checkers is like a drive-through so we're we're at like the little window and this dude just walks up to me and he was like give me money and i was like literally it was just like give me money and i was like sorry dude like i don't have any like i'm sorry so he just stood there for literally half an hour while we ordered and then he started getting progressively more belligerent at me and eventually it got to like he started blowing kisses at me and cat calling me and oh my god it got so bad and then he's like you know, like, where do you live? And we're just like, we're Canadian. Like, we don't, we don't want any trouble. And then he's like, he he said something like, you have a big Canadian pussy. And then he, it was like, it got there. Like, that's disgusting. It was really bad. And the guys were just like, what the fuck? Like, what are you doing, dude? And it got to a point where like, these other two people were eating at a different table outside. I think they were like paramedics. And they were like, you need to leave. How dare you treat this lady like this? Like, get the fuck out of here. We're going to call the cops on you. So he left because he got, I think he was drunk or, or I don't I don't know. But anyway, that was like first day of tour. You know, your show gets canceled. I get like verbally harassed by, Assaulted. A, <laughs> you know, so I, I think like being a woman on tour just has that extra like x factor like you never know what the hell is gonna happen and that was a perfect example of that so i was just like we're not going to checkers anymore (laughs) (laughs) so uh talk about crazy 88 and the logistics for getting you guys on a tour oh my gosh so literally every show um people are like so lauren when is a uh, crazy idiot going to play a show? And I always say, I don't know. Cause I literally don't know. Cause you know, I'm from Toronto. Patty's from the UK and then Jared's from Tennessee. So we're from three different countries. Patty tours so much with as it is. And I'm active with red hand denial. And then Jared doesn't really, Jared's actually never played a show in his life, which I don't think people know that, but he's like not a live musician. He's just like a a talented genius uh, recording artist. So the logistics to get us together alone is like a task (laughs) to like work out like the logistics to get us in the same area and then to work around our schedules. So that alone is hard. Plus we would need, I don't even know what paperwork we would need like to actually play a show. Like I would probably need an, a different work visa since I'm from Canada. So yeah, it's, it would be a monumentous task to actually get crazy at eights play show but i think it will happen i just don't know when like we almost played mountain view warp tour almost and it, it came dude our first show 
at Mountain View Warped Tour. Oh my God. I would have been there. Like I was there, so I would have been there. I know. Like we, we were so close, but it came down to like the fact that Warped Tour has become like a, like a weekend festival. Obviously you have to pay your artists way more. So it came down to budget. Kevin was just like, we just, we can't. We can't accommodate it. So I was like crying because <laughs> I was like, God oh, damn it. That would have been so fun. But um, yeah, we'll play a show. I just don't know when. <laughs> so how has YouTube and music, how have they um, influ- like how have they helped form your career as a as a live vocalist? How is sorry? How has YouTube helped um, me as a live vocalist? Yeah. How's it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, how's it helped? As far as like promoting your bands and like oh. getting your band's music out there, out there as well. Oh, it's been like absolutely amazing. Like I think the at least the the structure of how to promote a band has shifted over the past like you know five five to seven years. Like before, you know, bands would have to pay like PR agencies to like you know, give their stuff to magazines and all that and blogs and all that. But now I think is the time of the independent artist and we can do exactly what a PR agency can do. I don't know if you agree with that, but like we can, we can do all that now. We can have that reach and even more, I would think like, obviously the internet is saturated with with like everything and more but now we can have control over what we're putting out and and how we promote a record or or release so with youtube it's been amazing because i've been able to to grow like a like a fan base um, or in a community. So now I can just share anything that I do and they can either love it or hate it, but, um, at least it will be on their radar, even though I brought them in through maybe a cover, but they'll be able to know like, oh, she actually puts out original music and she has two bands. So it's kind of like a little, empire if you will like you kind of create this this empire and and of different projects all in one community so it's been it's been amazing I mean some people are still really confused how I'm in two bands which I don't know why but um, but at least like you can let people know and and YouTube's been amazing for that yeah so let's talk about Patreon a little bit. When did that come into play? What did you want to do with the Patreon? And uh, just talk a little bit about what you um, offer on there. Okay. So I was always really hesitant to do Patreon. Yeah, me too. Yep, me too. And, you know, like I hate asking for money and it's always like a weird thing. So I had the Patreon account for a while And I tried it out like a few years ago, but I think I kind of overextended myself with the, with the perks. So I kind of shut it down for a bit and 
I came back to it very recently, like I think in like March of this year or something. So it's been a few months that it's been up. Um, but I kind of restructured um, sort of the perks and the tiers um, to make sure that anything that I give to people is something I would already do. So instead of having to do like a lot of extra shit, I just would offer things that are already done. So like I have an option where you can have access to all the vocal stems of my covers for like whatever you want. Like you could remix them, you could practice mixing. Um, I also offer like I think like the lowest tier, you can just have early access to video and you could see it before everyone else. Um, I also offer vocal lessons through Patreon and I think that's been the, the best way to do it. Um, so I, I would do like one a month. So that way, like I'm not overextending myself, but at the same time, like I'm, I'm assuring like the commitment aspect of it. Cause it's, I found like, it, it was really hard to sort of nail down the schedule for, for online lessons, at least. So Patreon's been really good for that. Um, I offer just like free merch, um, little uh, letters. Um, I put like your name in the video in my description as like a thank you. And then like one of the big tears is like I'll give you one of my old microphones that I've used and like a surprising amount of people have actually subscribed to that one so I was just like oh shit like and you know there are people out there who will want to support you in an extra way and I don't think I realized that until I dropped my patreon Cause I was always like, Oh, like, Oh, that's so weird. Like asking for extra money from people. But there are those people who truly want to help. And thankfully, like I've found those people and they're like, don't be ashamed to want to make this your living. And it's hard and they realize that it's hard. So I think it's just finding the right people to be on your Patreon and structuring it so that you're not exhausting yourself fulfilling like the the perks and whatnot yeah i think i had the a similar problem when i first did my patreon i was like i'm gonna offer all these things and then i was like wait i forgot that these things cost money so i'm really yeah. not making any money off of this patreon i'm literally just spending their money to give them things exactly so i was like I really need to rethink this and make sure that it's feasible for me and making sure that I'm not just like evening out. Cause then what's the point? Exactly. And I'm having that, that problem right now. I just finished this photography book and like, I knew that it was going to be expensive. They're like $60 each to like, that's the price of them. And then you have to yeah. pay for shipping as well, which is expensive. And there's, I've sent them out to like Norway and New Zealand and oh, Sweden. And it's like, it's literally like $35 oh to ship God. a fucking book to Sweden. Like, and then, and I had to email the people and be like, look, if you want this, like you have to pay me more for shipping. I just found out this is going to be $35. And, the, and you're right. They were like, 
yeah, like I totally, like I'm totally down. What's your PayPal? Like there are people out there that do want to help you and want to help support your content. And, and it's the cool thing with the internet is that they can be all over the world. Yeah. I love that. And I've actually been really lucky to meet a few of them on tour. So I think I've met like four or five of them and like, which is a lot like, and, and sometimes you don't realize that they're your patron until like after, cause maybe they're shy or, or just trying, trying to respect your space, which I totally appreciate. And you know, I love that, but you're just like, Oh my God, why didn't you tell me? Like they would just like approach you as like, you know, just a fan and be like, I love your stuff. Can we take a photo? Okay. Bye. And it's like on Patreon, like you can't really see their face uh, if they didn't like put their face in their display picture, I guess. So like there, there have been a few times where I've actually met a patron and I didn't know it until like they messaged me on Patreon. And I was just like, Oh my God, why didn't you tell me? And I felt so bad, but um yeah i think it's been overall like a really positive experience and you know it's it is an extra like social media platform that you do have to look after but i'm i'm still like i'm still learning and i'm i'm still kind of tweaking things on there but it's been overall pretty positive I've had a similar feeling about it. You know, it's that extra social media you have to look after. And like, sometimes you forget about it because like you don't get a push notification on your phone or whatever. So you have to like go to Patreon and like look at the messages and do all that stuff. But I do love the community aspect of it. Like there's this guy on there that is one of my patrons and he, he lives in Norway and I Skype with him every month. That's like one of the perks is I'll do like a Skype lesson with you on whatever music or photography or freelancing, whatever it is. And this guy doesn't like freelance or anything. He's a truck driver. And so every time we Skype, he's parked in some parking lot somewhere oh and his view, his view is like these beautiful mountains in Norway or like a forest wow. or like something amazing. So it's like getting to like know these people that support your content it just makes the community stronger and it it makes it more like a like an empire like you said like these people will support what you do no matter what yeah it's it's actually like really astounding just the experiences that you have with people all over the world um so let's talk about times that you've been screwed over if you i mean if you ever have been as far as like doing uh, vocals for somebody else, like guest vocals, or maybe like getting screwed over on tour or something like that? Oh, God. I, I think I just have too many. Um, <laughs> um, I think generally, like, I've been screwed over in many different ways. But, um, oh, my gosh. I mean, we've been screwed over on tour where, like, the promoter, like, doesn't pay you. Like, that's happened... multiple times and that's like honestly one of the worst things I think that can happen because like you've performed you've traveled you've like put in days and days of work just to not get paid even after coming to like an agreement in terms so that's happened multiple times um we've had check checks bounce um, on us, um, 
at least from the performing aspect, that's how I've been screwed over. <laughs> um, you know, um, oh my gosh. As far as YouTube goes, I try to keep a lot of things like in-house. Like, I try and handle most of it just so that I can prevent anything, God forbid, that would happen. But um, I don't think I've been necessarily screwed over for anything on YouTube, but um, I've just sometimes been... I mean, I do this like when I, when it's like, let's do this. And then I don't do it for like a month, which I'm really, I've gotten a lot better at that. Like a couple years ago, like I've probably done that to you, which I'm so sorry, <laughs> but just like, you know, when you like commit to a project and then you just don't get anything back. Yeah. Like, yeah. I've done that to people, but I've also had that done to me. So, like, I guess that's common. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily call that, like, being screwed over. I guess that would just be, like, a delay, I guess. <laughs> for sure. For sure. And, you know, like, I'm guilty of that, too. But um, I guess there have been a couple times when, you know, it'd be like, I want to take a vocal lesson from you. And then they just, like, won't pay you. Like, it's very weird, which is why I do it through Patreon now. Um, but, like, they just, it's like, okay, when do you want to do it? Here's my PayPal. Here's the rate. And then it's like, they try and get it for free kind of thing. Or, like, once they find out that, you know, they have to pay for it, they, like, ghost you. And it, it, I don't know. It's just really awkward that way. And, you know, I've had a couple times where, like, we set the day. It's like, okay, we're doing it on this day. And I'm, like, on Skype waiting for the person. And then they, like, don't, they just don't show up. And I'm like, well, great. And I know that's really minor. Like, it's not a major thing, but it it has happened. Um, it's still frustrating for sure. It is. And it it's tedious. And, and that is time that, you know, that I took to prepare you know, a session for someone and then they like don't pay you or they don't show up for it, which is, you know, it is frustrating. Um, but yeah, I don't think we've, I've ever, thank goodness, been screwed over to like a monumentous level, which is good. Knock on, knock on wood. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say the worst one would be not being paid for a show. That's like, that's just like the biggest fuck you. Like as a promoter, as a promoter, it's like, how do you sleep? How do you go to bed knowing that like you didn't pay this, this band that you said, this is how much I'm going to pay you, you know? So they go to bed with their head on a pillowcase full of money. That's how they go to bed. Oh God. They, they love it. That extra hundred dollars. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. good luck. I'm glad yeah. that you have an extra hundred dollars. Thank you. <laughs> um, so talk a little bit about endorsements, sponsorships, things that companies that you've gotten to work with over the years. Ooh. So I've, I'm, I do have like a really, I am very picky with my gear, but I think I've been really fortunate to sort of been able to work with companies and brands that I've 
been passionate about. So when whenever like I've approached like an endorsement deal, I guess, um, I've always tried to make sure that it's something I already used. Because I think if you just try and pursue just every brand ever, like it's not really honest. It's just trying to get gear. <laughs> so I I guess through my experience, like I've always made a conscious effort to like really try and seek um, partnerships with companies that I am passionate about. So um, with 64 Audio, um, I've always known that I've, I loved them. I supported the brand even before um, joining their artist family. So um, I think it was you slash Cole that actually introed me. Am I right? It was yeah, like, yeah. And yeah, which is amazing. And like the we were in talks like me and 64 audio already before nam but like you and cole really facilitated that which i'm like super thankful for by the way oh you um, know whatever oh it's whatever it's that's what we do that's what we do um, at nam <laughs> so um i just think being kind is really important uh being professional um and and just being like a, a human i i think like when people approach like the idea of an endorsement, it's like, I think they forget that there are actual people behind these brands. And it's just a matter of like talking to people and, and getting to know them and putting a face to, to the company. So that's why Nam was really good for me. Cause I had never really had a legit um, endorsement before Nam. The only one I really had was Lewitt Audio, who I'm still with and I love them, but I had never met them. I had never talked to them. Um, it was still kind of, you know, just an email thing. So when I was able to actually meet like the artist rep and actually meet the freaking CEO of Lewitt, like that was so cool. And with any endorsement, I just think you have to be able to make that personal connection with the people behind the brand. And Nam was like the the most amazing place for that. So um, I think I, who I'm with right now, I'm with Lewitt Audio, 64 Audio, and recently I I'm doing a collaboration with Universal Audio, and that that's very recent. So that was like a week old. As of right now. Yeah, so I just, yeah, I just got um, their Apollo twin unit and it's, it's been a unit that I've wanted for probably like over a year and I, I had tried out like a bunch of their stuff uh, recording at other studios and I was like, this is the interface that I want. And so it took a, a long time to like set up the collab, but once it actually happened, I was just like, this is so sick. Like one of my favorite brands. So it's just, I think it's also a lot of persistence, like just making sure, um, 
you're following up with your emails because like these people are also very busy and just being professional you know yeah i'm currently trying to find sponsors for this podcast so i'm in that like approach like build a relationship phase with them so it's like super frustrating but it's and it because it's such a slow thing you know and it's, it's like very you want slow. everything now and so you have to be super patient and professional with it um so you just passed a hundred thousand subscribers on youtube um yeah how does that feel <laughs> um it doesn't really feel real yet and it's been like a month i think but it was just really weird <laughs> like it, like I know like YouTube's just a number like it it's all just numbers but yeah it's like this very weird surreal feeling when you actually get the plaque like I just got the plaque like a couple days ago I have not opened oh, it Oh they already sent it to you? I have you not haven't opened it. Opened yet? it. <laughs> what? Because I want to make a video but like oh, since, okay. since yeah. coming back from tour I've just been so ratchet and like i've <laughs> oh my god like i've just needed like two weeks to just sleep so it's literally sitting on my table right now just like in its box and i'm just like oh i want to open it so bad so like oh my god so like i guess passing like this milestone it didn't really feel real until i got this in the mail and i know that's really weird but it's like you spend all this time watching a screen and these numbers. Yep. <laughs> and it's like, how fucked up is that? Like, it's not we real. Lo- I look at it, like, I look at it, like, every day. I'm like, hmm, how can I make this? What do it, I do? Yeah, like, it's so unhealthy. And I think I've, like... So unhealthy. I've done a decent job to not be obsessed with it. And I think as, like, a... I mean, I don't consider myself a youtuber like i consider myself like just a musician like a a girl in bands that also has a youtube channel that's how i see myself but i've tried so hard to not be obsessed with these numbers and it's so hard but when the plaque came in it was almost like a tangible like thing that was just like okay this is actually real you've actually done something it's like when you're in school and your teacher gives you like student of the month kind of thing yeah and it's like this is real now so you know like when you're in a band like you make a record and then you get to hold like the actual you know whether you're a vinyl person or like you get to hold a product but like how can you hold youtube like you can't you can't touch it you can't like feel like you can't you can't go there right like Like, exactly like you can't go like experience youtube at a concert like it's not tangible so i think when i reached a hundred thousand it was like the plaque that really put it in my perspective like okay you've done something and you should be proud of it and it's it's real so that's your trophy <laughs> yeah and i think it's really nice that they do that because it's really easy to just become unhealthily obsessed with like a digital number so it was just a nice reminder that it's like you've actually 
like made like done something real and that was cool (laughs) so what is something you know now that you wish you knew when you started all of this Ooh, that's a really good question um that's the one (laughs) i think i mean i think i know this now and i've known it for a little bit but i think when i started all this um i think i wish i would have known to just not sweat the small stuff because there are so many things that we can get upset about with like this like madness that we get ourselves into but i think like don't let the small stuff affect you because then you're just gonna be upset all the time so like back back when i was like you know making videos in like 2012 2013 and you know you get that really nasty comment and it's like why is this hurting me so badly and it would actually legitimately feel awful and i think like i mean obviously like you learn that over time like there are different there's a difference between like constructive criticism and just like people being mean but i think that takes time and i wish i would have known that back then and to just to not let these little petty things affect me plug your social media where can people find you your bands and uh, yeah yeah so i am on twitter instagram and facebook and you can find me at lauren babick on twitter at lauren babick underscore on instagram and my youtube channel is youtube.com slash lauren babick and you can find red-handed denial at rhd band on twitter instagram facebook rhd tv on youtube and then crazy 88 is um crazy 88 official on instagram twitter facebook and then baketto media is the youtube channel which is jared's media company which is super awesome go check out all those bands as well and i'm coming out with a solo ep very soon i believe a new single is coming in the next couple months with a music video so that's going to be super fun and different and exciting well, I don't know about you, but I think that podcast was worthy of a five-star rating, if you ask me. So, uh, yeah, scroll down for me, give this a rating, and leave some feedback so other people that are looking for podcasts to listen to may find your feedback, read it, and give this podcast a chance. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Lauren, thank you for coming on this episode of Project Freelance. I had a blast talking to you. If you guys want to follow along with what Lauren is doing in her musical endeavors, I will put all of her links down below in the description or wherever the description is on this episode of Project Freelance. Thank you guys again for listening. If you have not picked up a copy of my photography book, you need to do so because it's super cool and I spent a lot of time working on it and I really want you to read it because I think you're going to think it's cool and it makes for a really good gift. So I'm going to do a, uh, what month is it? 
It's almost September. That means it's time for Halloween coupon codes, right? Okay, so we're going to do a coupon code for No Tracers for 10% off. It's going to be Spooky2019. Spooky2019 for 10% off of No Tracers. Go to justletterk.com slash no tracers. Get your copy today. They come signed. They come with a signed print of the abandoned Hawthorne Mall. And I am looking at the print right now. It's I have a copy of it up on my wall. And you guys, this is a really cool print. So I will sign the print. I will sign the book. And I will send it to you wherever you are. Wherever you are. Shipping is a little expensive. I'm just going to tell you up front. But it's okay. Because you need this book in your life. And Spooky 2019, not only does that work on the book discount, but you can also use it on my merch store on Teespring. Um, if you guys want to, a link will be down in the description to my merch store on Teespring if you guys want to pick up a shirt over there. Um, it's connected to my YouTube, so it's just easy to sell merch through that right now. So we're using Teespring currently. Um, so if you want a 10% discount over on Teespring for a new shirt, maybe a No Tracers hoodie, you can use Spooky 2019 over there as well. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Project Freelance. I will talk to you next week on the podcast. Subscribe so you get notified whenever I upload. And I've changed the upload time. It was 7 a.m. PST, but I've moved it to 11 a.m. PST. So now you get it in time for your lunch break. Cool. Thank you guys. I'll talk to you next week. Stay strong. Keep enduring. Go out and go create something.